It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork's greatest And a very good Tuesday morning to you as we welcome you along to another edition of Cork Today. We've got John Paul, we've got Sadie, both taking your calls. Anything you want to share with us, give us a buzz. 1850-333-103. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. And a photograph that I have to say made me smile going through the papers today. And it's in some, some I saw it in another paper, but it's definitely making the front page of the Irish Times today. And it's a picture of a cat being held in its owner's arms obviously with a pair of sunglasses on it <laughs> wearing he's been carried down to a street the street is actually Grafton Street in Dublin and it is the coolest photograph of a cat wearing a little pair of shades It'll, I mean obviously sunglasses for cats do such a thing exist and it turns out the owner is a young lady by the name of Sophia Dufreit uh, I take it she is is she, is she French Sophia uh, with her cat Fluffles and Fluffles is a British short haired silver shaded chinchilla and a chinchilla is a type of Persian cat and they were spotted out on Grafton Street. It's not often you see somebody carrying their cat down Grafton Street or indeed down any street, but it's the fact that the cat is wearing a pair of shades and a photographer, Gareth Cheney, obviously spotted the cat and took the photograph. It really is great. It's just one of those photographs kind of makes you smile when you see it. And something else that I know is going to make, it doesn't necessarily make people smile, but make some people happy. And this is to do with social welfare payments are going to be paid weekly. They're going to return to the weekly payments from next month. This is an announcement that has been made by the Social Protection Minister, Heather Humphreys. We will remember that in response to the COVID-19 pandemic in the very early days, Days of the pandemic, weekly social welfare payments were changed to fortnightly payments. Happened around late or late March was when it was first came in. And the idea of it initially was to stop people going out to the post office every week to pick up their pension or whatever other social welfare they were going out to collect. So they decided to make them to make the payments fortnightly instead. And people who got it paid into their banks would get paid fortnightly as well. And then in August, some of the payments went back to a weekly schedule, but for others, they remained on the fortnightly payment. And we kept getting calls in. Think in the main from pensioners. A lot of pensioners didn't like the idea of having 
just going to the post office once every two weeks. They liked the idea of being paid weekly. So from next month, all payments return to weekly. The last double payment will be paid out next week, the week starting the 19th of October. So therefore, the weekly payment will kick in on the week beginning the 2nd of November. And Heather Humphreys has said that the move will not impact on those who prefer to collect their payments fortnightly because she she said that you still have the choice of collecting your payment at your post office for up to 90 days. So if you want to leave it for 14 days and just go collect it every two weeks, uh, you can. But there are a proportion of people who prefer to manage their finances on a weekly ba- on a weekly basis. So for those people, they will be happy to hear that from the week beginning, November the 20th, all social welfare payments will go back to being paid at weekly. As I say, that will put, that will make some people happy. And also there's a bit of relief for people who are paid social welfare payment because it's budget day today and it isn't going to be a big a giveaway budget. Everybody well knows it's not going to be a giveaway budget. So anything anybody can get, I think any crumbs from the table today, I think are going to be well received. But the Christmas bonus is going to be paid to all welfare recipients. And it's also going to include the majority, but not all of those who are at the moment getting a COVID-19 payment. The move will mean thousands of pensioners, people on disability payments, those who were unemployed before and after the pandemic will all see their weekly payment increase in the lead up to Christmas. However, not everyone on the POP payment will get the top up. It's understood that around 90% of the 227,000 people who are currently in receipt of the COVID-19 payment will receive the bonus. Isn't it incredible to think that that many people are still out of work because of this pandemic? Now, ordinarily, a person must be on a welfare payment for 15 months in order to qualify for the Christmas bonus. And of course, that's where the problem arose when people started talking about would we get a Christmas bonus? Then it looked like people on social welfare would get a Christmas bonus. But then people in the know realised that anyone on the POP payment wasn't on it for 15 months so they wouldn't qualify for the Christmas bonus. So they've changed that aspect of it for this year uh, to include people on the POP payment. They will get it as well. The government decided to reduce the, instead of the 15 months, you now have to be on a payment for four months, which will allow people who went on to the payment, certainly from the start of the pandemic, to receive it. Now, the four month threshold does not have to be concurrent. And a recipient of the pandemic payment who was unemployed, say, at the start of the COVID-19 outbreak, but perhaps they returned to work and then maybe they were out of work again. I mean, I think in the main, they're looking at people in the hospitality industry, aren't they? those that are in restaurants and those that are in the wet pubs who were on a payment went back and then are back on the payment again. Uh, So that four months doesn't have to be concurrent. It can be made up over the period since the start of the pandemic. People who have recently though become unemployed due to the government's increased coronavirus restrictions, they will miss out on the payment. So anyone who becomes unemployed between now, I imagine the announcement of the budget today and Christmas, they are going to uh, miss out. But everybody else who normally gets a Christmas bonus payment is expected. It's expected that that's one of the ones that's going to be announced today. Now, 
somebody straight away asking, is it going to be the 100% payment? Because do you remember during very hard times, there was a year, I think, when there was, was there a year when they didn't pay Christmas bonus at all? And then I remember there was a year, I think, when they paid maybe 60% of the weekly rate or 75% of the weekly rate. So in the last couple of years that they've given the full 100%, I don't know the details of that yet. That's something that may they may be keeping secret until the ministers get to their feet this, this afternoon. So I don't know if it's going to be the full 100% or not. The one thing that's been predicted in the bonus today, motorists are going to get a bit of a hammering in today's budget. They are looking at things like motor tax and vehicle registration tax, along with the cost of diesel is going to go up and petrol uh, all going to go up. And of course, this is all part of the government's plan to try to discourage people from driving cars with high emissions. Now, the changes to the motor tax increase that's going to be announced this afternoon could be as much as an extra €50 a year for some drivers of what are deemed high-polluting car. It's also, the as part of the budget, it's going to, it, it would decrease for those who drive zero-emission cars. And obviously that move is going to, will be seen as a big, big win for the Green Party, who will be very happy to see high-polluting cars getting slapped with extra road tax and, you know, in the hope then that people will decide to get rid of their high polluting cars and maybe instead look at something like an electric car. And I think lots of people would like the idea of moving to an electric car, but they are just so expensive. And just the format today for the budget, one o'clock today, so it's earlier than normal. Finance Minister Pascal Donoghue and the Public Expenditure Minister Micheál Martin will take to their feet. Over the course of about an hour, they will cover what's in the budget and also obviously they will give the whys and the wherefores as to why certain decisions were made. That's expected to go on for an hour. And then at two o'clock, you will have each of the opposition party leaders or their finance spokespersons speak for 45 minutes on their issues with the budget and what they believe the country needs to do in terms of fiscal aid and what they would have done uh, differently. And then after that, there's a series of various press conferences and you won't be able to turn on a radio or you won't be able to put on a news programme without it being wall-to-wall budget. And we, as I say, at the moment, all we can do on this programme because we'll finish the programme as the ministers get to their feet to announce the details. But most of what is expected to be announced this afternoon has been well leaked uh, already. For example, it's expected there will be an extra €5 a week increase for a about 200,000 people who are in receipt of the Living Alone Allowance. The Living Alone Allowance at the moment is €14. Euro. That will bring it up to €19. Euro. There is going to be around £220 million in funding to be set aside for the delay in increasing the state pension age. Again, there's a cohort of people who will be pleased to hear that. The state pension age was to increase to 67 from the 1st of January next. But of course, that was one of the promises that Fianna Fáil said if they got into power they would keep it at 66 but that comes at a cost 220 million so it does mean that anyone who's reaching the age of 66 next year who thought they were going to have to wait a year for the pension you will be getting your pension carers are set to benefit I don't know if this is enough for carers but the carers support grant you know the respite grant I think it's what everybody traditionally calls it it gets paid once a year first week in June it normally gets paid out it's to go up by 150 euro it's currently paid 
This year it was 1,700, so it'll be 1,850 is what the amount will be next June. As I say, don't know if that's going to be enough for uh, carers or not. Uh, There's also going to be extra funding for parental leave. Now, across the board, increases to the state pension and other welfare payments will not be happening this year. No giveaway a bo- no giveaway budget we mentioned the Christmas bonus we know that's going to go ahead will it be 100% uh, though that's what we've got to wait to hear them announce this afternoon and the fuel allowance they reckon an extra three €3.50 a week in the fuel allowance bringing it to €24 Euro a week and that obviously is to help vulnerable households with the increase in carbon tax because there is going to be a, an increase in carbon tax today. That is one of the things that is definitely going to go ahead is an increase in the uh, carbon tax. Do I have the rate there? Um, I, I don't. The price of packed of cigarettes, that's going to go they reckon 50 cent is what I'm reading in a lot of papers even though it was speculated during the week it would be 20 cent uh, a pack but most people are now saying 50 cent the price of the pack of, of cigarettes. There isn't expected by the way to be any rise on the alcohol. Jim, it used to be the old reliables they'd put up It'll go up on the diesel and the petrol, it'll go up on the price of the packet of fags and it'll go up on the pint of beer. But they, they haven't touched alcohol in quite some time and it doesn't look like alcohol is going to be, it's, that's not going to go up either uh, today. Uh, for businesses, the VAT rate for the tourism and hospitality sector, there's a lot of people have been calling for this. That is going to go down. It's at 13.5% and it is going to go down to 9%. On the carbon taxes, this will affect everyone I take it. Carbon taxes will increase by €7.50 to €33.50 per tonne. What does that mean? It'll add €1.28 to the cost of a 60 litre tank of petrol and €1.47 to a tank of diesel. Obviously home heating oil through solid fuel and gas is also going to go up but it is expected that while the carbon tax for the diesel and the petrol you put in in your car, that would probably go up from midnight uh, tonight. But it is not expected that the home heating oil will go up on account of us heading into winter. And, you know, very much aware that for a lot of families, they really are struggling at the moment, particularly people who are out of work because of the pandemic. So I'm imagining they'll hold off on the home heating oil uh, probably until the new year, allow people to fill up and get whatever oil or gas they need to get them through the the winter and you can you can see by what's been leaked there is a stamp of the green party in various places around this budget because also included is a 300 million investment in retrofitting project and that's to improve energy efficiency in uh, homes there's also expected to be tens of millions in funding as part of the major live entertainment support package and that's going to help music venues and theatres cater for reduced capacity concerts and events and grants of a minimum of €10,000 will be used to help meet the cost of events where numbers are limited due to uh, social distancing and the commercial rates holiday for businesses that's expected to be extended into uh, next year because businesses and in particular small businesses very much have to be looked after. As I say, lots of speculation. I don't think we're going to get any shocks out of the budget uh, today but the budget goes live one o'clock today. 
today. 1850-333-103. John Paul and Sadie taking your calls. I just clarified something that was mentioned yesterday when we had a discussion on... UK driver's licence and we'd Senator Tim Lumbert on and we were encouraging people if you haven't already changed over your UK driver's licence you need to do it because Brexit is a coming Brexit has not gone away and from the 1st of January you, if you're driving around on a UK licence which you've been quite entitled to do up, up to now that UK licence will no longer be valid for driving on Irish roads unless you're over here on a holiday but if you're living here if you're a permanent resident uh, here you need to change over your UK licence to an Irish licence you need to get on to the NDA make an appointment and go in and lots of people tens of thousands of people have done it to date but we just wanted to do a final reminder because we reckon there is still a cohort of people who haven't done it yet and in the middle of that discussion a question came in asking is it possible to transfer a UK provisional licence to an Irish provisional licence and Tim Lambert said yes it was and that you could do it and I thought at the time that unless I thought maybe something had changed because I knew at one stage when we'd looked at it before it wasn't possible uh, to do that so we got it double checked and it turns out we were right a provisional licence a UK provisional licence cannot be exchanged for an Irish driving licence it's only UK full licences and what you will transfer over to is an exact replica of your UK licence so whatever category you were driving in the United Kingdom when you passed your test you'll get the same licence here but you cannot you cannot exchange a UK provisional licence for an Irish one and I am glad to uh, clarify that and just on the uh, budget somebody said there is no need for a budget today we know it all the virus is much more important. That's what we should be talking about. We shouldn't be talking about a budget. Deirdre in Churchtown says, Patricia, I've heard it. I heard you say it as well. And I heard it on the news that they're not going to put alcohol up in the budget. No, there's going to be no additional taxes on alcohol. Cigarettes will go up. Diesel will go up. Petrol will go up. But they're not putting up the price of a pint or the price of your bottle of wine. Deirdre says they're talking about closing off licences because of all of the house parties. But yes, they can keep the price of drink down. It does not make any sense to me, says Deirdre in Churchtown. So if Deirdre in Churchtown was the Minister for Finance, she would be slapping a lot of taxes on alcohol, a way of generating money. But at the same time, she would hope that it would try to stop some of the house parties. And then when I mentioned the Christmas bonus, and by the way, we're just, this is just the leaks of what is expected. It has to be confirmed this afternoon. Always when we mention anything like that, we get various people saying, will I be entitled to the Christmas bonus? Somebody wants to know about it will illness benefit, people on illness benefit get a Christmas bonus this year. And somebody else is asking, what about people who on FIS, family income supplement, do they get a Christmas bonus? The best I can do is check with what was, which the list of what was paid out last year. Family income supplement is not on the list that I'm certainly look at, looking at on citizens' information, which are always so up to date. And illness benefit isn't on it either. And probably illness benefit isn't on it because traditionally for the Christmas bonus, for example, if it's a job seekers allowance or the basic supplementary welfare allowance, you must be getting that for 15 months in order to qualify for a Christmas bonus. And I'm assuming it will be the same with the uh, illness benefit. It's, if it's a long term payment, are you on it more than 15 months? You're entitled to it. But I can't see illness benefit 
benefit on it either. But that may change. You're going to have to wait and see what gets announced today in the budget. And then somebody else has a text sent in that's a bit mixed up. But from what I can gather, you're asking somebody who was on the pop payment, the COVID payment back in March for a few months and now they're back at work saying, will they get the Christmas bonus? No, the people who will get the Christmas bonus are the people who are still on the pop on the COVID payment but if you're back at work uh, no but if you were out if you were on the pop payment then you went back to work and then you were back out on it again and you can make up the four months of being on it then you would be entitled uh, to it hopefully more will be explained this afternoon 1850 John Paul and Sadie taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Record today on C103 Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment 0862 The dumping of personal protective equipment, PPE, is a significant contributory factor to littering in Irish towns and cities, falling to the worst level in well over a decade. That's according to the latest report from the Irish Business Against Litter. Conor Horgan of Eyeball uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Conor. Good morning, Patricia. Now, while it saddens me, I'm not surprised as we get so many calls into this programme about this issue. Is it mainly the disposable face masks and the gloves that are causing the problems? It is and it's mainly the masks Patricia. We found five times as many masks as gloves on the ground. I think the problem with this uh, form of litter is that it tends to stay on the ground. Um, You know naturally even the most civic minded of people would think twice before picking up uh, what could be contaminated waste and you know I'm hearing interesting calls and emails from from people from yesterday when we published our report talking about people you know getting off buses and just dropping the dropping the mask on the ground as soon as they leave the bus so i think we need to change our behavior um, and and move quickly to reusable masks that would be an important one action that we could uh, we could easily take on and it would make a difference. And there's a cost saving for people as well if they were using the the reusable ones than constantly buying disposable ones. Most def- definitely. Yeah. I think it's also a case of like we're only using masks maybe for a month or two and we just probably haven't got into the habit of using them in a in, in a more uh, mature way than we should and you know we're, we're not used to, we're probably used to having one in the car and having another one in your coat pocket etc etc. We just come up with a system which will come over time bearing in mind that we're likely to be using masks for the foreseeable future. And the strings on those face masks are dangerous for wildlife as well. That needs to be pointed out, Connor. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, brings us to the broader issue. This isn't just about the unsightly nature of these masks. They are plastic. And when you consider the use of masks around the world, they are contributing now to this problem of plastic pollution, which Mm. we spoke about before, whereby sea life is being threatened by all the plastics entering our ocean. So we don't need another form of litter contributing to that. Okay, did you see um, a prevalence then in other types of litter, leaving the PPE gear aside? Yes, I mean... uh, Unsurprisingly, there was a, a significant rise in the prevalence of uh, drink-related litter. That would be cans and bottles, and I suppose nearly every community around the country would be familiar with uh, the sight of such litter in public spaces and public parks, particularly after weekends, because of the increase in outdoor drinking. And that has just become a norm, really, I think, around the country. Hopefully it won't persist into winter, 
but that has most definitely led to an increase in litter. And Tidy Towns groups, uh, Connor, they haven't been as active and that's because of COVID restrictions. No, no I don't want to overstate this, but it is the case that, uh, you know, Tidy Towns groups, just like the local authorities, they've been compromised in what they've been able to do during lockdown. They may not have been able to get involved in cleaning up litter at all. There is, as I say, this consciousness around whether it's okay to uh, to pick up certain forms of litter. At the same time, you know, I'm always impressed, Patricia, by the commitment of the Tidy Towns. They're brilliant. And, and, and yesterday when I published the report... The emails came in more from tidy towns groups than from local authorities pointing out that maybe such and such a site needs to be fixed and they were onto the council to do it. And Formoy was a case in point there. I mean, Formoy fared well. I'm sure we'll talk about it. But there were just two sites that uh, weren't up to scratch. The Tidy Towns Committee were on immediately sort of explaining that this was the domain of the council and that they were doing their best. So you have to be impressed by that level of commitment. Yeah, let's talk about Formoy. I mean, they always do well in this uh, survey and they're, they're still in the top 10. Most, yeah, most definitely, they've moved up in the chart. So, like, Formoy will rightly be pleased with its performance. Uh, seven of the ten sites surveyed received the top litter grade. Um, and, uh, like, the others were, uh, with the exception of the bottle and clothing recycle facility at Mart, which was seriously littered, the other two sites were moderately littered. That was the uh, council industrial estate and the connecting road from Cork was moderately littered. So, I mean, quite rightly inside the top 10 and for, for Moy, uh, retain, contain, retaining its consistency when some other towns have lost theirs. Yeah, and that bring site is frustrating because I'm assuming that's people bringing their items to recycle and then just leaving them behind. It was one of the standout uh, findings of our report this year, um, Patricia, was that over half of recycle facilities were littered. So, uh, you know, what we saw in Formoy was basically the norm for the country. Now, it doesn't have to be that way. And there were examples of of, of uh, such facilities in pristine condition. But, you know, if people go to a, to a, a bottle bank, the bottle banks have been under real pressure, obviously, with people drinking at home. If they go there and they're full, well, they shouldn't just leave their bottles and their packaging there. Yeah, it's really frustrating. Come back because to my mind, the councils, they are replenishing them, maybe not always keeping pace with demand, but certainly if you come back in a few days, the chances are you will then be able to deposit your Yeah, bottle. that's all you need to do. Stay there because Paul Kavanagh is the project manager with the Fomoy at Tidy Towns. Good morning to you, Paul. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, now, firstly, congratulations, because Formoy has done uh, really well, but you've got to be really annoyed uh, that you got let down, particularly by this recycling facility. Well, I must point out first, we're the only municipal district in the whole of Cork County without a recycling centre. That's right. We covered it right, only last week on the programme. Oh, my God. I'm, 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 we're crying out for it. But anyway, we have, we have three bottle banks. Two of them are pretty well kept. Uh, the one at the Mart, uh, the old Mart Centre in Formoy, which is right in the centre of the town, which is right in the middle of the car park, seems to be the problem area. Now, in fairness to Cork County Council, they are monitoring it on a daily basis. Uh, I went there myself on Sunday, and it was perfect. But look, I mean, it just so happens, as Connor just pointed out, people arrived. There's a, there's a lot of people drinking at home at the moment. People arrive with their bottles, which is great. If If it's full... Unfortunately, they let them there or they put the bags in between the bins and that's just an awful eyesore of a thing to see. They and how often are they, but how often are they emptied? 
Well, no, to be fair now to the council, I must admit like the, 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 the council are taking a huge interest in the, in the bottling centres at the moment in Formoy. And remember, Formoy is representing Cork in, in this competition. Yeah. Uh, and so, like we're 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 pushing Cork County Council uh, at every, every at every go. I personally, myself, I'm on it, and I ring uh, Vincent de Paul as well. If I see the, the the bins are getting full, I ring them. So to be fair, I think there is a you there's a way better push on this year. Probably unlucky that the day that they call, but it's just uh, symptomatic of what's happening around the country, as Connor says. Okay, but you're you're still in the top ten and cleaner than European norms, and you need to be congratulated for that. So well done, Paul. Thank you. I could add just to what Paul was saying there. You know, at the outset of COVID, we took it upon ourselves to monitor bottle banks in Dublin and to see how frequently they were being emptied and, repl- and, and, and you know, uh, being looked after. And, you know, we couldn't be too critical of the council. They were definitely doing their job. At a time when they're stretched, you know, the, the need for civic responsibility is greater than ever here. Yeah. We're in exceptional yeah. times. It's not COVID that causes the litter people causing the litter and they just need to be more mindful when it comes to uh, to bottle banks not to deposit litter just because they find it, that it's full at that given day. That's a good point uh, well said and uh, thanks to Paul uh, there for his contribution and just uh, finally then uh, Connor Cork, C- Cork City how did, how, did, how did our city fare? Well city centres generally prefer, uh, fared poorly uh, Patricia Cork City can be proud that it again has retained its clean status it's been clean now for six or seven years without uh, without fail so uh, um, you know and not easy to keep the city centre uh, clean at a time like this even though it's less busy remember when shops are closed you don't have the shopkeepers looking after the areas in front of their premises so you know things can get out of hand there so it's uh, you know thumbs up to Cork City Council for, for keeping up the good work in these times Okay but are you disappointed that we're back to where we were 10 years ago when you look at the overall survey yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure we're quite back to that point. We we have this, we have fewer clean towns. We don't have the very bad towns, Patricia. We spoke about litter black spots for years. We don't have any litter black spots this year. So, like, I'm taking it. We're living in exceptional times at the moment. Um, people need to be more responsible themselves. We'll keep an eye on the local authority. I could add that we are. One thing we're very disappointed about, Patricia, is that. Um, you know, every year, as you know, we highlight the very bad sites. We communicate them to the local authority. There were 60 of them last year. This summer, we revisited all of them. Fewer than 40% of them had been cleaned up. Wow. Now, you know, even with scarce resources, the local authorities need to focus in on the very yeah. bad spots, like the litter black spots, and we'll see things improve quite quickly. Absolutely. Listen, you're doing fantastic work at Eyeball. Keep it up, uh, Connor. And thanks a million for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you, Patricia. Good morning to you, Connor Horgan of Eyeball. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. And a number of people saying, just saying, well done to Tidy Towns groups. Where would we be without Tidy Towns groups? Local authorities try to do their best. They don't have enough outdoor staff, though, to keep everywhere pristine uh, but it's the tidy towns groups do the most amazing work in keeping areas uh, clean but I think Connor from Eyeball is right nobody wants to pick up the old face mask belonging to somebody else and when we've all passed them we've all seen them 
and you're just afraid you're, you're, you'd be a bit nervous about picking up a face mask and some of them if they get wet they're actually almost stuck onto the footpath or onto the road I certainly have had one that ended up in my garden but I looked at it and normally a piece of rubbish in my garden I'd just pick it up and put it into the bin but I actually went in and I got some disposable gloves picked up the mask and with the with the disposable gloves and, and threw it away you're just nervous in case we we're all told that we wear these masks in case we have COVID-19 or any other kind of a virus and you certainly don't want to pass it on to anybody else. Uh, so people certainly are very nervous about those masks. So it's just to get it through to people, if you are using disposable masks, will you please throw them away correctly and you need to cut the ties on them because they're playing havoc with a wildlife. Now taxpayers could be hit with a major bill due to an anomaly in the law which prevents local authorities from recouping money spent to make derelict sites safe if the building is in the ownership of a financial institution. To discuss the problem facing Cork County Council I'm joined by Mallow Councillor uh, James uh, Kennedy. Uh, Good morning to you James. Good morning, Patricia. Good morning, listeners. You're you're very welcome. Now, this issue is to do with the former Central Hotel on the main street in Mallow. Can you just outline to listeners who are from outside the Mallow area in particular, what work the council had to do on this site and why you had to do it? Well, actually, Patricia, you know, the motion I had in was much broader than that, but but, it was part of the Central site. But basically, my motion wasn't was quite comprehensive, you know. That's um, what the state was, and management should produce, you know, said the Delorix sites register, the, the number of people that who run it, the number of fines that had been served, etc., etc. Now, um, it was due to be on the July meeting, it was postponed, that was fine. And I was promised that to be on the September meeting that my motion, because it's very important, I think, you know, so for the people of the town and actually for the businesses in the town. So it wasn't on the September meeting. And actually, so they promised to be on the October meeting. This is, this is now 10 weeks later. And it wasn't even on the agenda, Tricia. So, so I mean, that sounds and sounded very um, suspicious, I thought. So what I did then was I asked for a suspension of standing orders at last Friday's meeting. And um, so basically I asked the management why it wasn't on. It seemed very suspicious because the questions were fairly simple and fairly straightforward. But um, I wasn't getting an answer from management. What I basically got was... Um, said he answered everything except the specific questions that I asked. Because when you have a derelict sites register, when you have actually, uh, you you have the power to fix fines on people who don't look after their buildings or and make them safe, and that it wasn't even answered. So the only conclusion I have come. You know, and Karen can talk about as well. You know, say her area is that there there probably is a derelict sites register, but I didn't get the number of people on it. They didn't tell me whether they're issuing fines or not. So but there seems to be, but James, there seems to be an issue that if the building is gone under the control of a financial institute, i.e., a bank. And the council pay out money to make a building safe. 
the council then can't go after the financial institution to recoup that money. Um, Richard, that is one thing I heard, but I can't say specifically that that is the situation. But, Patricia, what I was asking about, and actually said this was a decision by management, in, you know, not to answer my question, basically, but what I was actually, well, the point I'm actually making is that there are powers there, um, there are derelict buildings in Mallow for 20 years, for 15 years, for 10 years, and I mean nothing actually has been done. Now, the powers are there, but it sounds very um, suspicious, sounds very suspicious actually to me, you know, that's the reason I didn't get the answer, I'd say, is there is nothing whatsoever been done about it. Let me bring in Karen Coakley. She's on the other line from uh, West Cork. Good morning Hi, to you. Good morning, you? Karen. Good morning, uh, Karen, Good morning to everybody. Th- th- this isn't just, and while James is representing the good people of Mallow, this isn't just a Mallow I- issue. This is a county-wide issue, isn't it? The problem of derelict Absolutely. sites. Absolutely. It's a massive issue. I mean, I brought this up at full council meeting two weeks ago. Um, we didn't actually have a quorum, so it was actually deferred until yesterday. And the motion that I put forward was that I am calling on Cork County Council to implement the Derelict Sites Act of 1990. Now, Patricia, would you mind if I just explain that what, what that is? Because only for being in the council, I myself wouldn't know. Go on. Is it okay if I Yeah, please do, yeah. The Derelict Sites Act 1990 came into effect on the 27th of June, 1990. The Act provides a definition of a derelict site and it imposes a general duty upon the owner or the occupier of any land take all reasonable steps to ensure that the land does not become or continue to be a derelict site. Now, the Act um, is to make a provision with respect to land to prevent it being or becoming a derelict site, and that's to enable local authorities to require the taking of measures on derelict sites by the owners or the occupiers. So that's actually what the Act is. Okay. But, and so the council can go after the owner of a derelict site. But isn't it true that the penalties are so small that in some cases the landlord either just pays the penalty or it's not going to be worth the council's effort to go chasing them for it? That's exactly right, Patricia. I mean, to be perfectly honest, a lot of sites, they're recorded in what they call the uh, derelict sites register that every former town council or every council office in the county would have. But unfortunately, that seems to be it. A lot of buildings, they're not actually prosecuted. And the reason being, it goes on to, it's a legal issue. Now, if it's okay, I might just go on to the response that I got to my motion yesterday. And I think this kind of really, it it sums it up. And what the executive said is that it should be noted that the derelict sites legislation is not entirely fit for purpose in allowing a swift resolution in dealing with issues of dereliction. And it says, in many cases, the legislation is such that it can often give rise to the initiation of legal proceedings that can take several years to resolve. Now, my question to the council yesterday was that surely as a, as a council, we can progress and we can allow a swift resolution. I mean, after all, we are the legislators for this. I mean, we have to prevent buildings falling into such a state of repair that, you know, they're, they're beyond fixing. They it's become dangerous the and they become they dangerous. Do. Yeah. And the other thing is, you know, it can lead to antisocial behaviour. Now, a lot of these buildings would be in private ownership, but I still feel that as a council, that there should be penalties, in particular if you have a protected building, yeah, that yeah. the council should be able to intervene and say to whoever owns that, this is a protected building, this is our history, 
this is an iconic building and that this needs to be preserved. So the council need to take action on this. And some of these buildings are on main streets in in towns and uh, villages uh, that could be once upon a time people would have lived over those premises and so we could bring we could breathe life back into main streets by having people living in those towns and villages again we need to rejuvenate the town centres I mean there is no doubt about it you know a lot of people are moving out of town town is the soul it's the heart of the community and we need to we need to basically get people back into our towns again and you know just to revive it Okay. all right. Uh, We're certainly not going to solve it here and it's an issue that's not going to disappear overnight, unfortunately. Uh, But thank you to both of you for joining us on the programme. Good morning to you. Uh, It's Councillor James Kennedy joining us from North Cork and Councillor Karen Coakley joining us from West Cork. I mean, it is, as I say, it is right across the county, this issue of derelict sites. But it's looking, listening to Karen and to James, it's looking like the legislation needs to be changed in some way. So that the council do have powers to do something when they get a a site that gets boarded up or gets a derelict because I think you know Karen is right the longer you leave a derelict site or the longer you leave an empty site it can become a focus for antisocial behaviour we've seen on Main Street in Mallow the Central Hotel that I kicked off the discussion with with James Kennedy we've seen fires so many fires in that area and a lot of that was down to antisocial behaviour but to read that the council have ended up I think spending something in the region of €100,000 just making the old Central Hotel safe and now it looks like they're not going to be able to recoup the money is it's it's indeed a shocking because that money could have been spent uh, somewhere else 1850 John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls you can text our WhatsApp 0862 103 103 This is Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103 Cork's greatest hits C103 You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. A lot of people have been on about a programme that was on TV last night. It was right after the nine o'clock news. It was one of those really insightful documentaries that RTE do so well, I have to say. And it was simply called The Confessor's. Ellen was on saying well, we'd be really interested she said and what were people's views on the programme about confessions last night and then Deirdre was on to say she really enjoyed that TV show uh, last night she also said it was great to see Father Kevin McNamara and Father Brian Shortall both were former presenters here on C103 and they really showed the human side of the church and both Father Jack Father Kevin McNamara and Father Brian Shortall would have worked very closely with the late wonderful Father John O'Donovan that we all have such great affection and such wonderful memories of Father John when he presented a programme called Faith Matters and what a lovely, lovely man uh, he was and he used to bring in guest priests and people would come in if he wasn't able to make it some weeks and, and they'd they'd guest on the programme instead and Father Kevin McNamara who was in the show last night and Father Brian Shortall were two of those priests that were regularly on C103 with uh, Father John and actually Actually, Father, it, Deirdre makes the point that both of them showed the human side of the church. And it, what the one thing that struck me watching it, and it was basically for people who missed it, it was a documentary that was looking at confessions. And I suppose the decline 
in Catholic conf- traditions when it comes to confessions because you know one of the priests was making the point that there was a time when there would be queues of people lining up and that he as a priest would be sitting in the confession box and he would spend hours upon hours hearing people's confessions because the people were lined up outside and he said that doesn't happen anymore. It's, he said it's dwindled down now to a trickle. I don't even know if confession boxes are used that much because most of the priests last night were showing that their confession boxes in their churches in the main were being used as storage cupboards because they might only have to keep, say, two confession boxes open if they use them at all. I suppose it's more open confessions now. They're going into a very dark uh, box and then another priest was showing his confession box. They have a light, they have a dimmer switch on it now. Gone are the days when you were did and you were plunged into complete darkness. So traditions certainly have changed around confessions. But what got to me, looking at the priests in and a lot of the priests, obviously, we've an ageing population when it comes to priests. So when they were going to chat to priests all over the country, the majority of the priests who featured last night were over 65, except for one young priest who is the youngest parish priest in Ireland. But most of the priests who featured last night were older priests. And I, there was, I thought there was an element of sadness about it, looking at these priests and the loneliness, the lonely side of their lives, because some of them touched on celibacy. Some of them, one of the priests spoke about eating on his own. There was, there had been a tradition many years ago where there was a housekeeper, so there'd be a housekeeper in the house. And of course, in those days, the housekeeper would have been in the house and there would have been more than one priest. There could have been three, four or five priests living in, in the parish house. Whereas that's all gone. These men now are living on their own. They're the only priest in the house. You know, and one priest saying the loneliness of eating on his own and now he doesn't cook for himself. He doesn't have a housekeeper. So it's the local restaurants, hotels or whatever. He'll buy a dinner there and it's plated up and he brings it home, pops it in the microwave and, and heats it. I, I felt that loneliness, I felt a loneliness uh, for them. Before the Kevin McNamara, who Deirdre is, is mentioning, is now in Mulvane in County Kerry. And he was the one who came out very strong, speaking about the hurt that the church has caused to uh, women. And he said, we should put our hands up sooner rather than uh, later. And, you know, he went on to talk about how the church is made up of all males and we need to look at that. And then he opened up about the upset he himself had, fe- had felt at the flood of revelations of child sexual abuse and he said I actually cried my way through a mass at the height of the child sexual abuse scandal. How people in authority could have blatantly told so many lies opted not to tell the truth and the the priest uh, said that staying quiet was the devil's work and when that particular piece struck me because when all of those dreadful child sexual abuse scandals were coming out and the abuse that was coming out from you know industrial schools and all of that and who knew what and who didn't know that there was a cohort of priests who didn't know any of that abuse was going on there was others who knew that was going on and they were hiding it and then when a priest would be identified as a paedophile that priest then got moved on to another parish but the priests in the parish may n- never have known what was going on and there, you know, there was really good priests there and they 
all got tarred with the one brush, which is which is really really unfair. But I I thought it was a great program uh, last night. Just as an aside, I I really did enjoy it. You can if you'd missed it last night, you'll obviously be able to get it on catch up on RTE. And the program was called the Confessors. That was the name of the program. I certainly enjoyed it. Did others watch it? How did others feel while they watched it? And it was came. They started filming it obviously before COVID, and then it came right up to COVID. And one of the priests out on his bicycle cycling, cycling around blessing the houses <laughs> see that just trying to keep in touch with his community because priests it's been very tough on priests as well particularly when churches had to close and you saw them all last night having to go online like some of them had the facility in that the church already had internet connections but others didn't they just had to use their iPhone and put it up on a tripod and say mass and the, the buzz they got out of people joining them watching from their own homes but just not the same as having a congregation inside in the church. So thank you to Deirdre and to Ellen for contacting us this morning and our lines are open if you have a view. If you watched that programme uh, last night, did you enjoy it? 1850 Other texts coming in. This is on the Demon Drink. Katrina in Mallow said she saw people, even though the pubs are technically closed, they can serve, wet pubs can serve and so can restaurants and gastrobars can serve to 15 people but it has to be outside we don't really have the weather do we to be sitting outside but you know some restaurants and pubs are are trying to do their bit Uh, Katrina says we've no hope with what she witnessed at the weekend she said she saw on Sunday night people walking around the town drunk out of their heads there was two people in particular she reckons something needs to be done with regards to drink and the way we drink in this country we just it's our whole attitude to drink we are drinking uh, too much because others are picking up on the fact that drink we're now being told drink is not going to increase in the budget it's not expected to go up at all and D, one of our listeners was the first in on that when she heard that the drink wasn't going to go up and D couldn't believe it and said you know what are we trying to do We're, we know the drink is having an effect when it comes to COVID-19 why do they not put up why would they not put up the drink in the budget somebody has been on to say would you please tell D that when the pubs reopened the price of a pint went up by 10 cent so drink already went up but it didn't stop people going out for uh, drinks 1850-333-103 Morris says Patricia I think the pubs should have been kept closed and never reopened it's absolutely ridiculous having people gathering in pubs. How can they wear a mask and drink at the same time? It beats me, says Maura. If they had regard for people's health, they would have kept all of the pubs closed. No wonder the virus is raging since they reopened pubs. Even though pubs and the wet pubs only opened for two weeks, but I suppose you're talking about restaurants and gastro pubs as well. And as for allowing them to serve drink outside, this is not going to work. People won't social distance. When they get a few drinks in them, social distancing goes out the door. Keep safe, everyone, says uh, Maura. Okay, on other issues, derelict sites that we spoke about in the last hour and in particular was talking about the old Central Hotel in Mallow, which has been a derelict site for quite some years and the Council now have invested. We're told up to 100,000 just trying to make it safe after the last fire. A listener says this part of Mallow is a complete eyesore and it has been for 15 years or more. Having been involved in a former family business at one of those sites, it is really, really sad to see it, says one of our listeners. And then we also were talking about littering 
with the Eyeball Literary League survey and one of the things that showed up was bottle banks and anywhere where there's bottle banks we just seem to have a problem that people want to recycle their items but then when they get to the bottle bank if the bottle bank is full instead of and I know it's annoying to have to return home with all your glass and with all your tins and whatever else you're bringing down to the bring site with you it is annoying but please do it don't just take the boxes and the plastic bags out of the car and leave them because by you doing it somebody else comes along and says oh it's okay to do it look Johnny they've left it behind I'll leave mine and then before we know it it becomes a litter black spot listener says why is it that bottle banks are few and far between here in the county of Cork I live on the Cork Kerry border and this listener reckons Kerry definitely have three to one bring sites in comparison to Cork. I know a number of the bring sites were taken away with the opening of the civic amenity sites and is is that the reason that if you have a civic amenity site reasonably close to you then you're not going to have as many bottle banks and I, I don't know if that's the case or not. I know a number of the bring sites and the bottle banks were closed because of the very reason that I've just been talking about highlighted by Eyeball because people were literally abusing them and people were bringing domestic rubbish and putting domestic rubbish into the bottle banks and because they couldn't police what people were doing at bottle banks some of them did close so we can't always blame the council for the reason that we don't have all of bottle banks on our doorstep sometimes it can be our neighbours or ourselves or what other people are doing has contributed to the fact that that bring size was removed but it is frustrating and it is annoying and we always as with everything I think it's a human nature thing if we want people particularly when it comes to recycling we have to make it as easy as possible for people I mean a lot of the bin companies now and I know people will say but don't you pay for that Patricia and you do but a lot of the the bin companies I mean I've got four wheelie bins on the go at the moment because I've got a composting bin and I also am blessed to have a bottle that I can to, that I can put all my clean bottles into. Blessed to have one of those and then I've one for the general waste and then I've one for the dry uh, recycling. So, and that's curbside collection. It could not be easier and I'm lucky that I live in an urban area that has that type of curbside collection but if you're living in a more rural area or in other areas that don't have that facility then you've got to, there's an amount of work to be done in doing recycling so we have to try and make it as easy as possible for people and one way of doing that is making sure that we have proper bring sites and bottle banks within close range of people but if we get some people and it will be a small proportion who will abuse it then it ruins it for the general population which is a real shame. 1850 and when I was talking about the budget I mentioned that one of the things they've mentioned is it's oh over 200 million has been set aside to offset raising the pension age keeping it at 66 and not putting it up to 67 well that's got Sandy thinking he can't figure out why they're claiming it would cost over 200 million to cover the cost of doing that because since an equivalent amount would have to be paid in social welfare as unemployment benefit kicks in unless it's an administration cost it's surely not extra money is being paid out why not also says Sandy eliminate compulsory retirement age for of 65 Sandy said from what I've heard if the Greens target high CO2 output cars then a lot of petrol slash hybrid cars bought in the last few years will be headed for the scrap heap and what I'm told by friends two of whom traded three year old diesel cars 
for hybrid slash petrol models. Some models are not even doing 40 miles per gallon as opposed to a diesel which was achieving 50 miles per gallon uh, plus. And there are some people worried about the Greens being in power including Heidi who says Patricia hi I said it to you when the Greens got into power we'd all jump in, all of pay, paying more in carbon tax and it looks like today's budget is going to be us poor old motorists who are going to be hit and that is so sad and if you live in a rural area a car is not a luxury in order to get from A to B you have to have that car and all the indications are that motorists are going to get hit in today's budget we'll be picking up on that actually and discussing it in more detail tomorrow and then on something completely different Patricia can you find out trick-or-treating is it happening this Halloween Hopefully, uh, the the little ones must get their sweets and I'll, I'll have to go out and get the sweets and get the potatoes in for them. Says somebody who obviously really enjoys the smallies calling to the door trick-or-treating. Now, I know trick-or-treating got mentioned yesterday when Dr Tony Houlihan and the rest of Neffert were giving the figures for yesterday. There was a variety of things were discussed uh, yesterday and Halloween was mentioned and I can quote Dr Tony Houlihan said, It is not going to be a normal Halloween this year, he says. It simply can't be. He said we can't have children and families moving from house to house. He said it's also not the time for playdates and it's not the time for birthday parties. So he is very much putting the kibosh on on Halloween and whether we have... It's not that he's cancelling Halloween, but I think he's definitely pushing towards saying to people, do not go trick-or-treating. The Neffert have another meeting on Thursday and that's when they normally make any recommendations to the government. And we are another week away from the children. We've This week and next week and a half away from the children breaking up for their Halloween break. So I'm assuming it's going to be either this Friday or will they hold till the following Friday before the government come out and say something but I'm assuming that the recommendation is going to be to people not to go trick-or-treating but is it something that the government will actually come out and say I mean they can't make trick-or-treating illegal and as I say it's not that they're going to cancel Halloween I think parents just need to be creative with the way children celebrate Halloween children can still get dressed up you can still have a little party at home you can still I mean certainly when I was a child one of our biggest fun on Halloween was bobbing for apples. I don't know if children still do that today. There was another one where where mother used to hang an apple out of the doorway and now she used to hang it up and there was there used to be God when I think about this there used to be money slotted into the apple and you had your hands tied or you held your hands behind your back and you tried to take a bite out of the apple and the idea was you tried to bite to get into where the money was which I'm sure you think you brought it now on hygiene and all of that should you have actually been doing it? Probably not but anyway there are other games that you can do is the point that I'm trying to make and I think that's the advice coming that will be coming from Neffet forget about the trick or treating this year don't be calling uh, door to door but don't be having play dates either don't decide oh, we'll have a Halloween party instead and we'll bring all the kids from the neighbourhood in that's going to be the you're not going to be uh, advised to do that uh, either but he's also and I don't know if that's the first time we've heard it uh, that no birthday parties either is the advice coming from uh, Dr. Tony uh, Houlihan. Uh, Tim and Bandon said trick-or-treating should definitely not be going ahead. Are people as stupid as to think they could do that? I certainly, says Tim and Bandon, will not be opening my door to anyone. And that's going to be the other problem if some families do decide that they're going to allow their, their children trick-or-treating. 
you're going to have to work out who, which doors you're going to knock on because some people may simply just people who on previous years always opened the doors to the children may not be comfortable about doing it this year 1850 333 open C103 Jobs Crowley Engineering in Kilmallock they're looking for a welder while Clonakilty Park Hotel are looking for a hotel accountant you do need to have relevant experience experienced worker required to help civil engineering company it's with an underpinning project that's in the Bantry area and an activity assistant is required for Nazareth House in Mallow. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. This record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103. I have to say I was so sad to read on the front page of the Echo newspaper yesterday that some Cork business owners are turning to Cork Penny dinners for food hampers because their income has been so affected by the pandemic restrictions. Katrina Toomey of uh, Cork Penny Dinners joins me with more on this. Uh, good morning to you, Katrina. Good morning, Patricia. Katrina, have you ever seen a time before when so many people are coming forward looking for help? No, no, this is really, you know, we keep on saying that it's, the numbers are growing every year. But since the pandemic, it's, it's growing in a different way and, and it's, it's increasing the numbers, yeah. But it's just growing, Do you know, it's people that are losing stuff that have to come to us because they can't find anything to replace what they've lost and they're in dire space. But it's the face of the people who are coming to you for help, Katrina, that has changed yeah. so much over the years. I mean, when you would have first started, it was yeah. it was homeless people. It was people, you know, living yeah, on the streets. Were, you know, people that were funded the drink. Yeah. You know, that's kind of what it was, you know. And, you know, you'd have the pressure, he funded the drink or something. That was the type of clientele that we had. But that has changed dramatically. And now we see another change, another shift in people that were self-employed, had their own business going, you know, saved up, you know, built their, their dream, their home, etc. And we see them in difficulties now. And that, you know, that isn't fair because this pandemic came from wherever it came from, but it, it came out of nowhere for people and affected them in such a very, very bad way and has kind of created problems for them. They're worried about paying their bills, paying their mortgages, you know, being able to kind of keep themselves going. So when, when they can't work anymore, not only do they lose their staff, but then they themselves have nothing, you know. The COVID payment is not going to help them to pay off all their bills because that would only probably pay one bill for them. They may be still renting premises. They may be still renting equipment and stuff like that. So all of that is having a fierce impact on them. And these are people's neighbours, friends, family members. And in many cases, people may not even be aware of how bad it is for somebody. No, and you you know, people will just assume that that person is okay, that they've made a few bob and whatever. But that few bob, like everybody else's few bob, goes when you have no other money like that. To enhance that, you know, it just simply goes away. So I'm quite sure that we're paying off bills and paying paying off, you know, expenses. That they'll be left with very little, except the bleak future, wondering how they can get by, and are things going to change? So I suppose what the government needs to be looking at here is is creating that safe 
bailed out of it and, and they don't need to be having paid this back because when if you bail somebody out and you put them back into their business, put them back out on the street doing what they do as self-employed people. Now there's loads of people that are self-employed. It could be just one person. It could be a small little shop, a small cafe, a small restaurant. You know, look at all our musicians, our artists, you know, what was, what's not happening you now for them, like their concerts, etc. Like, they're all down on money and they're going down more and more and more and we're heading into Christmas now and none of that will be coming back as far as I'm not coming in. So really, they're down now. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I suppose that's at the last of what they have. And um, and worried about that. not just their future in their in their business. Uh, you know they're worried about their future in their homes, their future to pay bills, their future to put food on the table. They're worried about all of that. So you can see mental health is going to kind of be right across the board on this one as well. And we are already suffering those that have mental health issues are suffering really badly throughout this COVID nineteen because they're you know they're walking services, the drop-in centres and all of that have had to stop or curtail their services and have had to do Zoom stuff and change the way it is. And for a lot of people it, with mental health, change is what causes the, the problem to escalate for them and to deepen. So we have to look at that as well. But the government needs now to say, what are we going to do with all these people who, have, who are losing, you know, our taxi drivers, yeah, because what the, the cohort of people, Katrina, that we're talking about in the main are the the small little independent businesses who never made who never made huge profits. No, but they got by and they were able to kind of you know live their their dream and provide, and that's what they were doing. They were providing for their families, and if they did have a staff, it would be a small staff. They were looking after them and providing for them as well. So we there's lots. The hairdressers, you know, the salons, the barbers, and all of them, they took a huge bashing the last time as well. And, you know, that's something that we, 
even there recently communions were going ahead one week and then brought forward and they were doing all of this and people were able to book places with small numbers and then they had to change all of that so I'm sure quite a lot in the hospitality trade last coach went on of course they did of course they did and I mean even all those you know when you mentioned the hairdressers and any of the businesses that are back up and running and trying to make up for the period of time where they were closed they're all living on tenderhook and the dredge that yeah. if we go to level 5 yeah. they're back yeah. closed again yeah and they'll come they'll, and that they'll come back out and they'll have nothing and how are they going to get it back this time so I suppose the government has to put the safety net in there this is our country that they're looking after this is our people that they're looking after it's if it was uh, if there was a disaster on the other side of the world the government would be handing out you know as far as that like so we have to flow this now into our, to our own country we, we, we have to save all those people's livelihoods save their sanity I suppose and save their homes and save all the frustration and the pain that they're going through the worry at the minute as you say they're on centrehood but I, I, I do think that when the government come up with a, a solid plan for people like this, that they have to give it to them and not expect it back because there's no point in putting somebody on their feet and then telling them they have to work their backs off to pay back yeah. what they've been given. And That's in the, and in the meantime, in the meantime, then some of them come to charities like you, uh, Katrina, uh, and for food. You're, you're feeding these people. That's it. They're coming looking for hampers. They're coming looking for advice. They just don't know where to turn to. And, do they? F- do some find it hard, Katrina, to look for help? Yeah, they do. They find it very difficult. And again, like that's very quickly uh, that, something that we have to take them and we say, look, it's okay. You're not the only one, and we get through this together. And it has to be about togetherness and this. We all have to help each other and carry each other to get through this. We do it in Kenny Dinners all the time. But I, I, I tell you, Patricia, the goodwill that's out there in this country should never be lost and it should always be tapped into and this is what our government should be using. We have, um, like for us in Penny Dinners, we've never had a fundraiser ourselves but people look after us and they look after us so generously, so kindly and they just want to help their fellow human being that is suffering. No one wants to see anybody go hungry. I know people are going to be so upset by hearing about all these self-employed people that are, are really, you know, at, at their wit's end at the minute. And people just are fantastically good and that goodwill. You couldn't get that in any other country all over the world. It's phenomenal here in Ireland, especially in Cork. Even at the minute, we have, um, like, down around Jorway and on Sunday we're going to be in Mallow because Margaret O'Callum from Kilbrin started the Parish to Parish Food Drive for Penny Dinner. Yeah, great she's, woman. She's a fantastic oh my woman. goodness, she's some piece of work. She's amazing. But we, we, we go, you know, we've been around nearly all the parishes. You know, we've been in, like, Tully Lease. We've been in Kilbrin. We've been in Cullen. Last week we were in Camp Turk. We were in Fremont, Duhalla. We were all over the place. And we're getting to, to meet people who just want to give and we see it. Like, if if anybody in authority, like in the, in the government, could see what we see, they would know that this is what you tap into. You tap into the hearts of the people that, that have the greatest hearts in the world here in this country. Like, as I said, we're going to be in, in Mallow Sunday and the lads are all prepared to go and be... And I think there, is a, there isn't a, a week goes by that we're not calling out the, the collections for Penny Dinners on behalf of Margaret. No. And actually, her, her sister's been on asking us to wish her a speedy recovery. Yes, yeah, she's she's in the height of pain, all right, and she's a 
she's she's a woman like that you kind of can't keep down. She's amazing. She's she's a and it's such a simple idea, and like we're hoping to roll it out in all parishes because we want to gear ourselves up for what's coming. And sure, we're no fools. We're all watching the news and we're all kind of playing it, not by ear, but like we're, we're putting our own plans in place and we're we're trying to be a step ahead of the of the COVID, like at all times and keep. Okay, now let's plug this. You're going to be at Kylie's car sales in Mallow, 11 a.m. Yeah. to one this Sunday. All non-perishable foods and obviously uh, cash and uh, checks, all donations. Uh, any particular type of food people should be buying for you? No, we're happy. We're happy with everything. We really are. Because you, you know, make it up into hampers and things. We that, do, yeah, 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 yeah. And we use some of it in the kitchens. Then ourselves. Is how and how tough is Christmas? How tough is Christmas going to be, Katrina? Um, oh, it's going to be very tough for so many. It's going to be frightening. Uh, people are going to be scared. Like we're even worried about Christmas Day because we don't want. Um, we're still serving at the door, you know, because we have to. We have to keep everybody that's struggling, that's in need. We have to keep them safe and they know that and they work with us on that one and we have to keep our volunteers safe. We've had to scale back all our volunteers and we've only really kind of a skeleton crew inside that's keeping the place going. We've had them from day one and they're just incredible people just flowing in. The work is very, very hard at the minute but when you have the same people doing the work over and over and over again. Um, like I'll give you an example. Um, Philippe Chef went back to work last week and was on for one day and we, we were cheering at our end because he's amazing, but on, on the other front, like, just, you know, tough for him like that. They, they had to close back down again after one day, you know. So that you you can see where, where people's mindsets can change fairly rapidly. He wasn't the only one in that position. And, and you can see how, how it affects them. But for Christmas, we're hoping that we would be able to kind of keep everybody safe, keep everybody, you know, not short of food. We will look after them in any way we can. And we do it all the time. Like we go above and beyond. And we're going to, you know, power ahead on this one. We may not be able to open on Christmas Day and Penny Dinner, as you know, to tiny Patricia. So again, yeah. I think they're going to work with the Lord Mayor here um, in the city. So come up with some that. other kind of a solution. Yeah, come up with another solution. Okay. Like a big premises where we can take people to because... I would be happy to have people on the street. You know, if all comes to all, I'll ask the country, can we shut off the street and put marquees? There's you know? <laughs> uh, It's not, not going to happen. Like, yeah. you need to be lo- You know, it's Christmas Day, and uh, the isolation that all of these people are feeling is, is hurting them, and it's hurting us looking at it. And we do need to just step up to the mark on Christmas Day. Keep everybody safe, but don't have them walking away. Okay. Them. Okay, we'll speak again, uh, Katrina. In the meantime, stay safe yourself and uh, continue. Good luck to the fantastic work that you do at Penny Dinner. Thanks Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Chip. Good morning, Chip. What a a woman she is. That's Katrina Dinner. Katrina Toomey of Cork Penny Dinners. Cork Today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103. Now, at the start of this month, the President, Michael de Higgins, signed into law a new forestry bill to discuss the significance of this new act. I'm joined by West Cork, Fianna Faultall Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan. Good morning to you, Christopher. Good morning, Patricia. And, and you're, I'm, very, I'm very well. You're welcome. Now, you say this new bill will strengthen both biodiversity and the economy. Can you explain how? Yeah, OK. So at the outset, if it's OK with you, I might just kind of uh, set the scene and uh, the background explain to, this. to the listeners yeah. the, the current situation with uh, both the forest 
company, forestry industry, and also in terms of the biodiversity going forward. So the, the, the issue at the moment is, uh, Patricia, is that you have, um, in order to either fell forestry or even plant forestry, you have to go for a license. Okay, So if you're a landowner and you want to plant some um, woodland on your land, you have to apply for a license in order to do that. And, th- and similar, if you have some woodland that has matured and it's ready for felling, maybe an investment that you put into your land 35, 40 years ago and it's ready for felling, you have to apply for a license, which is all absolutely necessary and needs to be done. So the situation at the moment is is that there's 500 appeals um, stuck up in the system that they, they for example, there's only been one appeal that has been heard this year in, in, in the entire year out of about 380 appeals. Um, now, that's that's absolutely ridiculous. It's not good enough. And there's a couple of reasons why that has happened. Um, one of the reasons is that there has been a chronic under-resourcing of the Forestry Appeals Committee. This is the committee that here appeals. Uh, for example, they, they've only one board that can sit um, at any one time. And that's that's the reason for the backlog and the slowdown. There's also, but uh, is there any explanation of why so many appeals? Yeah, I, and I was I was getting to that <laughs> as well. I was getting to that, but this is a, an example. I, I just wanted to touch on the fact that it has been under resourced, and this bill addresses that. It allows for the um, the forestry appeals committee to sit on several occasions. Okay. But another reason for the amount of appeals, I suppose, is um, uh, and you're right to touch on it. There has been a few individuals who have um, cynically, I suppose, taken it upon themselves to uh, appeal to. Uh, forestry licenses, felling licenses and planting licenses that have absolutely no relation to them. They could be 200 miles away from where they're situated. And I think they're doing it really uh, to, to, to prove a point, which I think is cynical and unnecessary. And again, uh, the point of this bill is that while it doesn't restrict the right of anyone to appeal, it introduces a, a small fee, which is hoped would reduce the number of appeals. So it's kind of a double-pronged. On one hand, we have... Uh, uh, historically under-resourced the Forestry Appeals Commission, which committee, which has led to this backlog. But on the other hand, there has been kind of vexatious uh, and cynical appealing uh, with some a couple of individuals trying to prove a point. But the result of it and the result of the fact that the appeals have been held up is that you have a forestry industry that is almost grinding to a halt, a forestry industry that employs about 12,000 people, so it's a big employer. Uh, you don't have to look any further than West Cork. We have... Um, uh, Grangers or GP Wood uh, in Inneskeen, which employs about 500 people, and 500 people in a constituency like Cork South West is huge. But the fear was, and there was a genuine fear amongst the industry and amongst experts, that we would literally run out of timber uh, by the end of the year. And they were actually having to ship in uh, huge amounts of timber from, from Holland and from Russia, which has its own, I suppose, environmental impact. So, well, I, I couldn't believe that when I realised we were shipping in, we, we were getting to the stage where we were importing uh, timber because of this. Would you have liked to have seen all appeals restricted to relevant persons. I know that that was initially to be included but it was uh, the, the controversial part of it I suppose and it was removed. Would you, would you have preferred to have seen it in? Um, listen, I, I understand the annoyance that say if uh, if you're up in County Mayo and I'm trying to plant a bit of woodland down here in West Cork, why should you have the right to appeal? But I think there had to be, um, I mean, if you only restricted it to adjoining landowners and you take away, we'll say, the right of, of the NGO to, to appeal, then I think that's probably too restrictive. And let's face it, there are instances where there might be environmental concerns. Uh, we know that, for example, Sitka Spruce wouldn't be the most friendly uh, or full of biodiversity, if you know what I mean. So, I mean, there 
they're, 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 I think that probably would have been too restrictive. I think okay. they got the balance right here. Okay, so still, by, I, I so by putting in this small fee, it's hope that's, uh, you know... It's uh, hope that it takes away this fixed yeah. this kind of random appealing yeah. to every appeal, for every licence for forestry. And, and like the important thing is here, from an environmental point of view, and I touched on the industry point of view and the amount of jobs at risk, like the programme for government has quite a strong plan in terms of uh, planting and afforestation and the introduction of native woodland species. I mean, the Sitka spruce, while they're great for, for providing timber and there needs to be an element of that, it doesn't have much biodiversity value. So we, we in the Programme for Government have a great plan in terms of a, a more mixed um, planting uh, strategy, which would allow for biodiversity, would allow for, for example, uh, greater recreational parks. You know, we all love walks in woodlands, we'll say around Castle Freak now is the nearest example I could think of. But there isn't enough of those type of recreational mm-hmm. amenities. So it, it, it allows for that. But if you have um, serial appealing, then it actually um, puts at risk the recreational forestry and the native woodland forestry as well. So it's, it's a double-pronged uh, issue. So it, it is a good news story. And now those forestry applications in the appeal stage, we need to now push them, move them on. We need to we need to move them on. I mean, there, there's other issues here. There's a, there's a mental health issue where um, you know you have landowners and farmers in particular, and West Cork. I can think of five, six, seven at least um, who are they, they've they've planted this as an investment, an investment for their future, and now it's ready to be, I suppose, cashed in on. Uh, a lot of these landowners may have um, financial uh, issues, or they may have financial difficulty. Well, particularly were, during the current times we're living in, more exactly, than ever. Yeah. Yeah. And this this was a, almost a rainy day fund. This was something that they felt that, you know, here's here's an investment I've made. I've, I've, I've been forward thinking, um, I've invested in woodland, and now it's time to fill it. It's ready for felling. It's, it's mature, uh, but the appeal system has completely held it up. So you have some landowners waiting two, three years for their appeals, uh, for their uh, license to go through the system. Uh, and that has its own uh, mental health issues, as mm. you can imagine, when, when, uh, when someone is facing financial difficulties. So there's so many aspects between the industry, the jobs, uh, the biodiversity and the native woodland, and also the mental health aspect that this bill I'm very hopeful we'll will address uh, sooner rather than later. Okay. All right. Okay. Budget day today. Are you expecting any surprises? Um, well, you know, this is my first uh, budget experience as a, as a TD. Um, I think proceedings begin at one o'clock, and I, mm. I'm going to head in. We're in the convention centre today, which kind of takes away from the whole atmosphere. But I, I would much prefer being in Leinster House. The convention centre is a bit. Uh, void of atmosphere really but still very much looking forward I'm excited for particularly Michael McGrath um, Corkman and fellow Fianna Fáil TD who has been on the opposition benches for so long now and responding to uh, budget announcements so I'm very excited for him and listen there hasn't been as much kite flying as there would have previously been in previous budgets from my experience but there are some positive soundings in there uh, particularly in relation to the fact that if you are and I've heard your previous caller there speak about people on PUP and and um the financial difficulties that people will be finding themselves over the coming months but I'm hopeful that there's a couple of positive um, aspects in there for them for example if you are in PUP um, there will now be uh, an opportunity to uh, earn money on a freelance basis I'm thinking particularly for the events and uh, live uh, live events and music and arts uh, who may be able to take work now where it comes and be able to earn uh, income but be able to keep their full, full PUP and I'm also thinking of um, the hospitality sector which is let's face it, Patricia, is, is facing into a very bleak, um, dark uh, winter, unfortunately. But the fact now that we're finally seeing, they've been lobbying for a while for the VAT reduction from 13% to that 9%. That looks like it's going to be announced, yeah. Yeah, and look, it won't, it won't fix all and it won't help everyone, but 
in the long term, hopefully it'll make us more competitive when restrictions do ease. But in the short term, what it means is that these businesses, hospitals, cafes, restaurants, they can make a bit more of a margin on their product and put that margin back into the industry. So they're just a couple of the things that have been flagged and um, whether they come to fruition or we, we'll find out. And then when they're all back up and running, it's up to all of us to go out there and support them as well. It's so important this Christmas yeah. more than ever that we shop local and spend our money locally. And, and look at the phenomenon that was, um, you know, July, August and even into September where we were seeing people staycating, as yeah. whether you like or hate that word, but there was reports of, of hotels, cafes, some cafes um, increasing their July and August figures by 10, 15%, yeah, which yeah. shows the value of staying local, spending local, uh, and going to see the incredible local amenities that we do have instead of, uh, you know, jumping on a, on a plane and heading off foreign. So, um, you know, that, that proves the point. The whole ethos of shopping local can really put money in people's pockets. Okay. So that's, that's a very important All right, uh, Christopher, we leave it there. Thanks Thank you for that. Bye Thanks bye. for joining us. That is uh, Fianna Fáil, uh, West Cork Dole Deputy, Christopher O'Sullivan. A lot of people very touched by Katrina Toomey and the great work of Cork Penny Dinners, including Mary, said I'd love to send a donation to Penny Dinners. Do I send check or do I send super market vouchers either are Mary uh, either are could be used by Cork Penny Dinners wonderful 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 organisation okay we're going to take a break we have news at 12 midday on the way we'll take a look at calls and comments that are coming in and Joe Heffernan joins us it being Tuesday and he is looking at an increase in self-harm due to the pandemic this is Cork Today Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103 Cork's greatest Uh, some of your comments in a listener says who does Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan think he is looking for positives out of today's budget which is now less than an hour away this listener says it is the poorest in our society that today's budget is going to hit the hardest they are the ones who are driving the older cars they're going to be hit with higher taxes it's the poorest that can't afford these electric cars with this despicable carbon tax coal prices will rise Again, who is that going to hit? It's going to be the elderly and the poor. And somebody who are very much not looking forward to today's budget and who it's going to most affect. And what people are giving out about the Green stamp, the Green Party stamp on today's budget and citing exactly what that listener is saying. It's going to, carbon taxes are going to go up and, you know, some feeling that it is the poorest will be affected the most by increases in carbon tax or increases in petrol and diesel or increases in car taxes. John in Mallow says he wouldn't be the type of person who would normally vote for the Green Party but he says he is in agreement in what the Green Party are trying to do while in gov- government. He said all our wildlife is dying and he said he remembers when he was growing up we seem to have so many different types of birds. He said we have to start doing something to change, to put a stop to climate change. We have to all individually and then collectively everybody do our bit. He says we have to do something. He says years ago he remembers you could go out and pick blackberries and he says you can't do that today. A lot of our wildlife has simply been destroyed. There's nobody go out and pick blackberries anymore because the blackberries are not available. Thank you for that John. Actually somebody else says I brought back memories for them when I was talking about bobbing for apples for Halloween you know when it looks like Neffet or definitely Tony Hulahan last night saying you can forget about trick-or-treating this year and not encouraging anybody to go uh, door to door and I was saying that I remember when we were children we bobbed for apples and my mother hanging by a string hanging an apple up and you just try and take a bite out of the apple and there was coins there was money put into to the apples and if you 
got it out, you know, with your hands behind your back, you got to keep the you got to keep the money. And I was just saying, goodness, would you be doing that today? You'd have to have the hand sanitizer out and all the coins that have to be sanitized. And would you be able to would you be able to encourage children to do it? And sure, we didn't come to any harm doing it. But anyway, we live in a different era, I suppose. Catherine says. Patricia, you brought back a lot of memories. There was 15 of us in our house and Catherine says, I remember my dad used to hang up the apples for Halloween, all different size strings. And yes, there was money slotted into the apple. It was lovely times. Yeah, they were innocent times, I suppose, Catherine, more than anything. Thank you for your comment. And then a number of people have been on about the programme that I mentioned that was on after the news last night, a programme called The Confessors. And it was a documentary to do with the decline, I suppose, of Catholic traditions. And it allowed priests to talk about confession and how confession has changed over the years. But it also was a kind of a snapshot of, because it led into, they started the documentary before COVID, the pandemic arrived in this country but it also kind of showed the change in the ways of the priests with everything that they were doing because of COVID-19 because as they were filming all the churches went into lockdown themselves lots of people saying how much they enjoyed that programme last night one listener was saying Seth and the husband sat down we didn't move for the entire hour it was on and others saying if you missed it you missed a wonderful programme but you can get it it'll be on the RTE player and it is called The Confessors definitely worth watching if you missed it Trish I watched that programme The Confessors last night it was a great programme the priests on it were so honest and they were so good I like you saw the lonely side of their lives on the sexual abuse Trish there are some priests who were greatly wronged and were then left as outcasts by the powers that be good men that would be so strong for the church uh, today thanking you and that's from a regular listener and one of the other priests when you were right about the honesty there was great honesty in it one of the priests was talking about celibacy and talking about the amount of priests that he saw good good men who left the priesthood why because they wanted to marry or maybe they fell in love or they realised that the celibacy side of it was going to be hard and that they went on and got married and had families and you know they were saying they would be a wonderful asset to the church now if we would only allow married priests whether that day is coming or not I don't know. Somebody else says, uh, Patricia, that programme about the priests last night was absolutely fantastic. I particularly enjoyed Father Khan from Passage with tears in my eyes I was laughing when the lady said she would marry him and the sing song at the end what a lovely priest and also the priest going up out on his bike and visiting all of the houses in the parish and he blessing all the houses he brought such great happiness to the elderly people these were the ones that couldn't get out due to uh, COVID-19 it was a great show it was yeah it was. I was touched by that priest as well and he even saying that some of the elderly people cried when he came and he couldn't go into any of the houses and even the woman who came down the driveway of the house and went to shake hands with him and he had to bump elbows. <laughs> you know, he was doing everything to keep with the COVID-19 restrictions. But the joy that he he brought just by getting on his bike and cycling around to, I think he said he got to all of the houses, didn't he, in, in his parish, kept him fit as well. But it, it brought home to me what we spoke touched on last week on the programme and had a massive reaction to it when we did the piece with Becky Keeley who was trying to start the campaign to allow the churches to open for masses because the masses are gone with level three we can go in for private prayer but how many people and people of a certain age group and people who have a very very deep faith how much they miss that opportunity 
of going to Mass just the once a week. I mean, I know there were people who go to Mass every day, but there were a cohort of people just, you know, love to go to Mass on a Sunday and are really missing it. And the churches are doing their best for putting it online and all of that. But it's just not the same for so many people. And that struck me last night when that priest spoke about the the joy he saw in the parishioners by doing a simple thing like going around and blessing the houses. But yeah, they were all very good, good men, uh, for sure. It was uh, a fantastic programme. OK, what else is in on text? John in Clannacilty got on to us. This is about the Christmas bonus when we mentioned the Christmas bonus. and You know, it looks like it's going to go ahead this year. We're going to have to wait until it gets announced this afternoon. But it looks like everyone who was entitled to a Christmas bonus last year on a social welfare payment will get it again. And added to it this year will be people who are currently on the COVID payment or have been on a COVID payment for at least four months, the PUP payment, uh, they will receive it as well. John in Clonakilty says, Patricia, we are the only country in the world that gives a bonus for not working. It's a great country, isn't it, says John. I hope it lasts. So John is somebody who is very much against the Christmas bonus. Well, John, can I challenge you just on that? When you say we give a Christmas bonus for not working and absolutely people who are on job seekers allowance uh, will get the payment if they've been on their payment for 15 months. But the Christmas bonus also goes to old age pensioners. It goes to people who are on disability allowance. It goes to one parent families. It goes to widows. It goes to widowers. Like it goes to a whole host of other people. And you know, people like someone say that's on a disability allowance who would love to be able to work but because of their disability can't work. It goes to people who are on a blind pension love to be able to work but they're not able to work. It goes to people who have who are on carers allowance and carers benefit. Now you're saying to me that people who are on a carers allowance are on a carers benefit that they don't work. I think they challenge you over that. So it isn't just for, as you say it, people who are not working. And remember John there's a lot of people this year who will get that Christmas bonus who are getting the pandemic payment, who are, as you say, not working. And they're not working through no choice of their own. They're not working because a pandemic hit this country and whatever they were working closed down or their business was forced forced to close. And are you saying that they're, they're, you, you, you're thinking that they're not entitled to a little bit extra at Christmas, I have to say. It is your opinion and you're entitled to it, but I 100% disagree with you on it. 1850 Mary, we picked blackberries a few weeks ago. Okay, so there are blackberries out there. I think the point that was made, though, by our listener, John, in Mallow, that they're not as plentiful. He feels they're not as plentiful as they were when he was a child. And I know we often look back on our childhood through rose-tinted glasses, but John reckons wildlife and nature has changed. I don't know what age group of a man John is, but since he was a child, he reckons there was a lot more birds around and that the blackberries were much more plentiful than what they are than what they are today. I think that's the point he was making. But good to know that you were out picking blackberries and, and hopefully you're enjoying them. 1850 Hi Patricia. There is to be a new there is to be new alcohol legislation coming in in November. It's not going to solve anything in the immediate future but it aims to change habits and make drink a little less visual for children. Raising prices only goes so far. Look at cigarettes. Look how expensive they are and people still smoke. Now I'm assuming 
what this listener, Jane. Jane, I'm assuming what you're talking about is is the Public Health Alcohol Bill. And I don't know if that is coming in in November or not. The Public Health Alcohol Bill, that's the one that is going to bring in minimum unit pricing, that it will set the price of alcohol below a certain level of which alcohol can be sold. So what happens is it gets rid of all of the very cheap beers and the cheap wines, uh, for example. That bill, would you believe, was passed into law two years ago this month and it still hasn't been put in place because I remember the run-up to the introduction of the minimum pricing on alcohol and the amount of people that were against it and the amount of people that were for it and lots of people, you know, there was huge, huge arguments and it took years before we eventually got the public health bill put in place. Then it got passed into law two years ago and people thought it was going to come in straight away, but it didn't. And the argument that's been put forward for for not implementing it is that the government in the South wanted to wait for the measures to be the same in Northern Ireland because they were fearful that if we brought in minimum unit pricing on alcohol down south, all that would happen is you go across the border in the north and there'd be people going over buying cheap alcohol. And there was a time where people went to France filling up with wine. You remember that? And people went up north as well at one stage and would stock up the car. So they were fearful of that. And Northern Ireland have been talking about bringing in minimum unit pricing as well. So the government at the time and subsequently have always said we'll wait until Northern Ireland do it and then we'll all do it together and then there won't be any of this cross borders. So that's been one of the arguments that has been used for not implementing the legislation. And there has also been now a push for the government to press ahead with the minimum unit pricing on alcohol as part of a tool for the COVID battle plan because, you know, we've had people talking about closing down off licences early. I mean, that's been floated by some ministers in in the Cabinet to try to curb the large house parties that are going on and to try to put an end to social gatherings. But others are saying one of the best ways to uh, to do it is to target the cheapest and the strongest alcohol products and you could do that with minimum pricing. But So I don't know when this listener says that that legislation has been enacted in November. Can't, I haven't heard it being enacted in November but I'm assuming that that's the piece of legislation you're talking about. I will absolutely keep an eye on it to see if it is coming in in November because a, a certain proportion of people will welcome it. Others won't, obviously. Others like the idea of being able to get cheap drink, but I think a lot of people certainly will welcome it. 1850-333-103. And Nora was on to say, Patricia, could you put this out to your listeners, please? Has anybody else noticed the amount of house flies that are dropping and then dying? I seem to be hoovering up a lot of them dead on the windowsill. Anybody else notice that? House flies? A number of house flies at this time of year and they're... T- and I'm assuming, Nora, that this isn't something that happens every year in your house. It's just you're noticing it this year. Anybody else knowing an increase in the number of houseflies dropping and dying and poor Nora constantly hoovering them up from the windowsill. 1850 333 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Let's give another mention to the Cork Penny Dinners collection that we spoke with when Katrina Toomey was on earlier. It's going to be in Mallow this weekend, next Sunday, from 11 in the morning until 1pm. It's at Kylie's Car Sale 
sales in Mallow. Now they're looking for all non-perishable goods, but also if you would like to make a cash donation or if you'd like to give a cheque, they are welcome as well. But Kylie's car sales in Mallow between 11 and 1 next Sunday. And the Tom, o, Tom O'Regan from Mallow and Padraig Keen from Nistole have joined forces to raise funds for muscle, muscular dystrophy Ireland. Unfortunately, due to the COVID-19 restrictions, they've had to change their plan of completing the Six Mountain Peaks Challenge. But they found a solution and on next Saturday, they'll complete a 100-kilometre cycle from their respective homes to Knock Boy, followed by a 770-metre climb to the mountain summit, which straddles both counties. To help them fundraise for Muscular Dystrophy Ireland, you can donate through the MDI Facebook page. Now, they have a GoFundMe page, and it's under Monster Peaks for MDI. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 And I thought some people might have reacted to uh, John, who is dead against the notion of a Christmas bonus and says she were the only country in the world that will give a bonus for not working. And he said, isn't it a great country? And I hope it lasts. And I certainly took him for task to, to task because I just thought it was a pretty mean thing to say, uh, John, if you're blessed to be working and you're not getting a Christmas bonus, then be on your hands and knees at the moment being thankful that you're not in need of a Christmas bonus. But there are so many people out there relying on social welfare payments. That Christmas bonus is just makes such a difference to them. Sean is in LEP, very annoyed with John's uh, comments, uh, particularly him saying that the Christmas bonus shouldn't be given out to people. The bonus is a treat to those who can't work. John would need to get his ideas correct. And yes, absolutely, it goes to people who are unemployed as well. But there are many people who, uh, and people who are unemployed, and why shouldn't it go to people who are unemployed, uh, says you. Uh, There's very few people who are unemployed by their own choosing, for for sure. Connor says I was made redundant five months ago ended up on the COVID-19 payment I had a good job ended up having to live on €350 a week which by the way says Connor I was most grateful for now it's gone down to €300 I think if it goes the way the budget is due I could be in line for the Christmas bonus if for me that would be great it means I'll be able to get a few presents for my nephews I still must pay rent I've got a car loan so while people like John are unhappy that a bonus is paid out to anyone who's on a social welfare benefit many of us did work many of us never wanted to be on social welfare and many of us in fact never filled out a social welfare form before this pandemic arrived and you're not on your own Connor. there's many more like you please God your job will come up soon for you and this pandemic will be behind us and we'll just look back on 2020 and think God what we all went through but you'll survive it uh, hang in there but yes absolutely if you've been judging by what we're hearing and those that will be entitled to the Christmas bonus under the PUP payment you certainly will be one of those that will be entitled to it. Margaret in Mallow says, I think John must be very lucky that everything in his life has gone so correct. So many businesses closed over the years and people lost over the year and people have lost their jobs. Without the dole or Christmas bonus, their lives could be very different. And yes, I do agree, though, there are some on the dole, some on the dole 
that uh, should be checked out. There'll always be people who never wanted to, uh, to work. And then Derek in Rochestown says, I do agree with John in some degree. Many have never worked. They get homes, they draw social welfare, and they never do a day's work. While so many of us kill ourselves every day getting up and going to work and building our own own houses. So I do feel John's frustration. But given given what is happening, not everyone is like that these days. And especially, I think now, especially now during the pandemic that we're living in. And people on the, people commenting on the priest's programme last night, the confessors. And there's a number of people were talking about the, the gentleman at the end. I think somebody said, is he Father, John, Father Con from Passage? where you know he ended up he had a bit of a sing song where he sang the hymn at the end he'd said mass he seemed to be sitting outside somebody's front door I don't know if it was his own front door and the people were gathered around him and the woman made the comments when he was talking about celibacy and marriage and whatever and she said sure I'd marry you Father Con." and people got a great laugh out of that well somebody says I, I never knew Father Con." but says listen I was at a funeral mass that he happened to be saying it was actually a friend of his and this sister said it was such a lovely mass at one stage during the middle of the mass he looked down and said to the widow obviously his friend was being buried but he looked down at the widow he said are you doing alright Peggy and she just said the sister said it was just such a wonderful human thing to do in the middle of a funeral mass just to check in on Peggy the widow and make sure that she was alright what a god yeah he comes across as that kind of a man he, he really was uh, lovely and thank you for that and somebody else says Patricia on that programme uh, of the priests it was great I believe the church will have to adapt uh, we're in very difficult times and very changing times at the moment we've got mass online in this home now since March and to be honest I think it's great I feel we'd fallen into the same rut same old routine every weekend. Now we tune into different parishes just to see how they do things. And I must admit, I have a better grow for my own parish and how we do it. Please don't mortify me by reading out my name. It's no longer survival of the fittest, but it's the ones that adapt that will survive. I have no problem with the online services. In fairness, the priests are putting in a great effort at the moment and they are and let's not forget they are they really are putting in a huge huge effort and on Halloween and how different Halloween is going to be and it looks like there'll be no trick or treating a listener says Patricia my small grandchildren will be coming over to my garden to have a treasure hunt for Halloween there'll be lots of treats hidden and it'll be lots of fun for them what a great that is a good suggestion well done if anybody else I'm sure that listener won't mind passing that suggestion on to others if others would like to take that on board a uh, bit of a treasure hunt a little bit like what we do what some people do with the Easter eggs and for at Easter you know an Easter egg hunch just do the same but do it with Halloween and it'll be nice to do in the evening time when it's dark you know you could have little fairy lights out etc and you know have your solar lights out and whatever to light the garden for them and the children will absolutely enjoy it well done have fun let us know will you how that goes I'd be interested to see and hopefully you get a nice fine dry evening for it now the listener says I don't begrudge anyone the Christmas bonus especially the genuine people that really need it what makes me so cross is what about the self-employed small businesses struggling to stay open and supporting their families yeah and they're the very very people that Katrina Toomey I don't know if you've been with us all morning that Katrina Toomey was talking about she's talking about those some of those people coming to her door looking for food hampers the bit of money that they're managing to make or if they if their business is closed all of their savings has gone or what little bit they've left they're trying to pay the bills 
in order that they'll have a small little business to return to. And she's now handing them out food hampers. It's just incredible. 1850 John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103. And Joe Heffernan joins me. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, Patricia. Now, um, we're talking about something actually I saw a couple of articles actually in the paper today on this and it's new research. It's providing the early signs that the COVID-19 crisis may be leading to higher rates of self-harm in yeah. this country. And there's one particular study from psychiatrists at the University Hospital in Galway and they've been able to compare data for earlier in the pandemic, like the first March and April, and they'd actually seen a fall off in self-harm in the early stage of the pandemic. But then they did they did further research in May and they realised that it had dramatically increased by 104%. So it was really, really worrying. So we want to talk about self-harm on the programme uh, today. So I suppose the first thing is to, what is self-harm? Well, the usual thing that we associate with the words self, with the self-harming would be cutting. That would be um, with a sharp object um, uh, cutting the skin. Um, now, that would be what most of us would immediately think about um, when we talk about self-harming. But um, taking overdoses of medicines, uh, uh, hitting oneself. Um, I met a person some years ago who was continually um, uh, scraping their knuckles along, um, you know, a corrugated wall. Um, uh, oh, the pain, and, yeah. Uh, hmm? The pain of it. Absolutely. Um, there's uh, there's trichotillomania, which we can talk about exclusively someday, um, which is pulling out hair or eyelashes. Um there was a person I was talking with, and uh, well, actually, I was talking with his wife, and um, she couldn't understand what was going on. That he seemed to be continually scratching or picking um, at the skin of his face, uh, causing, you know, um, uh, sore, scarring, um, and that was self-harming. Um, but the most common one is cutting, and that's cutting either with a blade or a knife, or some kind of a sharp implement, yes. cutting to the point of drawing blood yes, um, and scarring. I mean, people do end up with significant scarring from this self-harm. Without doubt. Absolutely. And um, uh, also in that first study that you mentioned there, um, the peak rate for females was in the 15 to 19 years age group at 718 per 100,000. And the peak rate among males was in the 20 to 24-year-olds at 553 per 100,000. Now, I know that there are only cold statistics, but behind every one of those statistics is a young person who is troubled. And so so it is mainly something that affects younger people, but obviously you can self-harm at any age, but it is mainly something that young people do. That's a very okay. good point. In fact, the, 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 the person who was talking to me, uh, wondering why would her husband be doing such a thing, um, uh, that wasn't a young person at all. Why yeah. would a young person do this? Well, um, I suppose 
the big word here would be pressure. Feelings of great pressure. Now, I know that that's a very generic term, and I know that we don't find it in the medical manuals, as it were, for pressure. But um, we'll say if a young person was being bullied, we'll say if a young person was being discriminated against um, uh, by a group that the young person um, felt uh, left out or pushed out, um, uh, a bereavement, um, uh, I suppose, at the moment, a big one would be uh, fear, um, without doubt. I suppose we're all living with a certain amount of fear. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't say that that's a very bad thing, because without fear, we might be careless. Whereas, um, but then fear can overwhelm, and that's not what we want. Just a healthy fear. The same as you wouldn't drive around uh, bending the road at the wrong side of the road, hoping that there isn't something coming. Um, You know, uh, a certain amount of fear can be good. Um, So um, the whole scenario, um, I know that anything we discuss uh, recently inevitably comes back to COVID-19. But, I mean, there's no denying it. It's there. And it's, 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 uh, it's putting us all... Um, in a in a fearful um, uh, state, uh, to some degree or other. Um, so it's 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 a very inappropriate way of dealing with these pressures in life. And to the person who is looking in, uh, it can seem without logic. And without, um, uh, well, without, uh, it's hard to understand, very hard to understand. Um, but the the young person who is doing the self-harming, um, it's a sort of, as I say, completely and utterly inappropriate, but a sort of safety valve. Um you know, cutting, feeling that that ta- the blood takes away the bad feelings. Um, if a person is feeling numb, uh, not feeling at all, uh, the pain can make someone feel more alive. Now, these aren't my words. These are the words of uh, that young people who have been self-harming um, have stated themselves. So there's no denying that. Um, whether one agrees or totally disagrees with um, with any one of those uh, statements, that's what young people have said, and um, that it relieves the feelings of it can be guilt, it can be depression, it can be shame, um, uh, and of course the the answer or part of the answer uh, to a to 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 a great degree would be to talk to someone. Um, and it's also, I think, important to point out, particularly when you think of somebody cutting themselves, this is not a suicide attempt. No. In in fact, peculiarly and paradoxically, it's really a way of trying to cope with life. Um, uh, so you could even say that it's the opposite of suicide because 
it's it's it makes a statement of I I want to live, I want to cope, I want to be able to cope with the pressures that I'm feeling, and 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 that would not be um, uh, you know uh, an attempted suicide. Mm. On the other hand, uh, that can't be excluded. I mean, if a person is self harming, well then. Um, there is uh, more certainly a risk of suicide, um, and that should never be overlooked by, we'll call them the statistics, that people who self-harm do not go on to um, to take their own lives. Uh, but, but per se, it is not. Okay, and I know next week we're going to be offering advice on this, particularly for parents and uh, teachers who who are living with or who are dealing with somebody who who self harms. But would I be right in saying this is this this self harming is hidden? That it's not something that young people themselves, their family members, might even know what's going on. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, I mean, the long sleeves in summer, um, the uh, the you know to to hide where there would be um, marks. Um, that kind of thing, very hidden and uh, very lonely and very isolating. Um, you know, in the in the privacy of one's own bedroom, etc. And uh, for that reason, um, it would be essential to say to our young people now and again, "How are things? How are you? How, how are you doing um, these times?" And a simple little question like that, when it's said uh, with the uh, in an empathic way, um, can often be the uh, the the breaking down of a barrier. And the person might well say, "Well, do you know what? Um, life isn't great at the moment. I'm um, I'm uh, I, I'm I'm under severe pressure. Um, I'm feeling that." Uh, my college year is gone down to Swanee. I won't get my exams. Uh, I'm feeling that that relationship that um, was important to me, um, that it isn't working out. Or um, uh, I'm feeling hopeless about the future, the way the world has gone. Um, you know, with uh, the way the country has gone um, due to the COVID-19. Um, these are all very both depressing and uh, alarming uh, facts. And I think myself, um, I was talking to somebody last night and they were saying that they really felt for the older people and that. But uh, to tell you the truth, I mean, my, uh, of course, I, 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 I empathise and sympathise with the older people as well, me being one of them. But um, I think the younger people have been dealt a very... Uh, poor hand uh, at the moment with the way things are. I mean, you had the awful carry-on with the leaving cert. Um, you know, kids who had been in school with the last four or five years and um, uh, the big day, the big thing, maybe it shouldn't be such a big thing, but the big thing would be the, the dreaded leaving cert at the end of the years, which um, 
And that was that was taken from them. And then what subsequently happened with the results All was of just. That. But here's a yeah. here's a text in with a, a photograph uh, as well from a listener saying, "I'm a 42 year old female. I've been self harming like this for a number of years. It goes hand in hand with anxiety and yeah. stress." And she sends on a picture of a really really sore finger. I mean, it's uh, it's really sore looking. And she said, "I could have any number of fingers done and bleeding all at the one time. It doesn't." hurt until well after doing it? Oh, well, I would say to the person, well done for um, uh, giving in that uh, text and, and, and the photograph. But please talk to someone about um, the underlying um, pressures that, and, uh, that, uh, that are there. Because the self-harming is the tip of the iceberg and the huge iceberg is underneath um, uh, whether it was things that happened in the past, whether it is anxiety about the future, um, whatever it is, please go and sit down with someone who understands uh, and talk to someone. You may prefer to go to a professional person rather than a trusted friend because it's a very, very personal and uh, intimate uh, uh, problem. And um, and you may feel better uh, talking to, as it were, uh, someone that you don't know, that doesn't know you, and where there is guaranteed um, confidentiality. Uh, and there's so many people at the moment living in this very stressful world that's leading to anxiety. So you're not on your own. Absolutely. Every one of us is feeling it. Every yeah. single one of us. Life has changed dramatically. Um you know, we get up every day and we put one foot in front of the other. Uh, there isn't much to look forward to except uh, a, a hope, a prayer that um, that this will all come to an end someday. Um, but it's a tough world now. Mm. Um, it's it's um, you know I I've never well none of us has I I've never experienced anything like it. Um, uh, it's it's I, like I keep saying it's the war of our generation. Previous generations lived through the Second World War. The generation before that lived through the First World War. This is our world war. This what we are living through yeah. is is certainly our world yeah. war. Okay, yeah. you want to give suggestions of less harmful alternatives, particularly to cutting. Well, um, obviously there are ones. One of them would be my kind of favourite, if you like, uh, would be the uh, the the rubber band. Um, that you put uh, a rubber band um, uh, on the, we say, on the around the arm, and that instead of of cutting, that one would um, uh, snap the uh, the the rubber band, uh, and that that um, would um, uh, substitute um, for um, actually cutting for actually cutting. Mm. Um, that would be one. Another one would be um, uh, a, a cube of ice out of the fridge um, to uh, to rub the uh, the ice cube on the part that used to be um, cut or uh, injured, um, or even to use um, uh, a marker, um, even a biro, a lipstick, whatever, um, uh, to mark the place instead of cutting um there would be uh, some of the um 
you know, uh, that have worked for other people for yeah, causing actual physical uh, damage. Okay. Um, and yeah. of course, there are helplines available which are operating right and have been operating right throughout uh, COVID 19. And they're available, the likes of the Samaritans, you suggest aware. We are talking about younger people, so Child Line, there's Teen Line, yeah. there's Grow, there's Body Wise and Suicide Prevention Helpline. There's so, so many helplines Absolutely. out there for, for people. And as I say, we're going to move this on next week and we will talk from a parent's point of view and from yeah. a teacher's point of view and we'll do, do more about what the, the do's and the don'ts, what to say and not say. Got to leave it there. Uh, Joe, listen, have a good week. And the same, Patricia. Talk next Tuesday. Look after yourself and stay safe. That's Joe Heffernan, who runs a counselling practice in Bohapui. His number is 0297-6617. And just to wrap up on some uh, texts that are coming in, when somebody mentioned that there was a new alcohol bill coming in, and I was wondering, was it the Public Health Alcohol Act of 2018, which still hasn't been fully enacted? Somebody is pointing out that some sections of that have already been implemented. Absolutely, the ones on no advertising of alcohol in certain places, like children's clothing and advertising in cinemas. But what's happening in November, and it's what the other listener is picking up on, is Section 22 of the Act, which is the separation of alcohol. That's coming into effect where retailers have to have a separate alcohol product section in their shops and the system says I believe the sections of the act are coming in in phases I actually thought that separation one was in already a lot of shops have done have already done the work where they can separate the alcohol section from the other items that they have on sale so thank you for that and I'm I'm, uh, glad to clarify that I was I didn't quite know what the listener was intimating when they sent in the original text so thank you for the clarification a couple of people on about John who's against the Christmas bonus and saying I'd be a great con to pay out a Christmas bonus. Uh, Mike says, John might want to check up on countries that pay Christmas bonus to welfare recipients instead of assuming that Ireland is the only country that pays the Christmas bonus. Plenty more countries do the same, says Mike. But yet Bernadette says, I do agree with John. My husband works seven days a week for €360 and we don't get a bonus or a treat, as you called it, says uh, Bernadette. So there are working people don't get any bit of an extra bonus at uh, Christmas. And someone else says, tell John, if I don't think John is getting a Christmas bonus. So I think that is the problem. Jo- tell John if he doesn't want to give it to uh, Penny Dinners. And someone else wants to point out a message yesterday that there's a number of Dublin cars in the West Cork area. And I was saying, could they be local people living there? This sister says, no, they're not. They're holiday homes. I know the holiday homes. I'm living here 45 years. They are not local cars. Dubliners are coming to West Cork. Okay, that's where I've got to leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul and to Sadie for taking your calls. We're back with you tomorrow morning. Mark is in for for next day. Safe. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash 
upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.